Welcome to Pulling Weeds, a podcast of the Carolinas GCSA. We'd like to remind you that the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of those of the people on the podcast and do not reflect the views of the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendents Association or any of its sponsors. everyone it's 2023 welcome back to pulling weeds new logo same mission we're here today with uh jim huntoon the professor and chuck sir charles Connolly. gentlemen welcome in good morning tim how are you wonderful how about you charles i'm doing great glad to be here thank you tim Yes, sir. So um, let's go through some technical stuff here. Is it okay to call you Chuck today? You can call me whatever you'd like. What about your members? How should they refer to you this year, Sir Charles? If you consider yourself a friend, it's just Mr. Connolly. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> but if it's, you know, if, if we're not friends, then, you know, Mr. President's fine. Gotcha. <laughs> or I just would prefer to be called Chuck by everybody. So, Mr. Um, Huntoon, how do you address Sir Charles? Usually Charles or Chuck, either one, depending on his conduct for that day. If he's in trouble or not. <laughs> no, just uh, he doesn't act up too much, Tim, as you know. But every once in a while he does. But now that he's presidential, it's going to be Charles almost all the time. Kind of like today's episode. We're going to tighten it up here real quick and uh, run through this. So, um, Chuck, let's just jump right in. How long have you been involved with the Carolinas GCSA? Uh, well, I guess... There was a small stint when I was an assistant at Reynolds on Lake Oconee back in Georgia. The superintendent I worked for was from the Carolinas and encouraged me to join. And then I let my membership lapse. But then in 2007, I moved to Greenville Country Club and have been a member of the Carolinas ever since. So I guess, what is that, 17, 18 years, something like that? Nice. So, uh yeah, and then, you know, I was very fortunate to uh, get involved with the UTA uh, at the local level, which is a great, you know, local association in the Carolinas and, and been involved with them and been involved with the Carolinas really ever since since then, really. So for those listeners out there who don't know what the UTA is, can you give them a little more explanation? Yes, uh, that is the upstate... <laughs> Turfgrass Association. You about lost that one, huh? Um, so within the Carolinas, there are 13 local associations, as mm-hmm. we call them. Um, they're specific regional organizations. They're like kind of mini GCSA chapters. But the difference is they're not um, affiliated with the GCSAA. They're their own separate business entity. They have their own uh, registration with the Secretary of State in each state, whether it's North or South Carolina. And so... The cool thing is, is in the Carolinas, that gives us anywhere between 90 to like 120 different educational opportunities for our superintendents throughout the year where they don't have to travel quite as far. So Chuck, for instance, where he says the Upstate Turfgrass Association is uh, the Upstate of South Carolina. We've got another group that Jim's involved with, uh, Palmetto Turf Course Superintendents Association. Is that correct? Correct. And I am also a member of the Coastal Plains. Coastal Plains, which covers the Charleston market? Correct. 
Palmetto is the greater Myrtle Beach area. Gotcha. And with you being way south down there at Polly's, not from the beach, you can you can work with both. So you can kind of have a, a double membership and twice the opportunity there. Exactly. For education, that is. Yeah, and they have great events with both associations, so I like to take advantage of both. All right, Jim. Well, why did we bring Chuck here today? What are the big hard-hitting questions you've got for him? Well, first of all, we're recording here from uh, Beaufort, South Carolina. It's part of our January meeting, our assistance-themed meeting. we got some great education on tap later today. If you've never been to the winter meeting, I highly encourage it. One of the first Carolinas event I ever went to was the winter meeting, Tim, at uh, Daniel Island way back when. That would have been like 2001 or two, I think. Ah, that was yep, a good one. It was. But we're here to record with Chuck because he's our incoming president. It's tradition that in January we start the year with our new president. Started that with Mr. Wharton, I believe. Carried it on with Mr. Steeler. You know, I think Matthew has been on 79 podcasts since he came on ours. <laughs> And do y'all realize he had never even realized, he didn't even know what a podcast was until he was a guest on ours. You really enlightened him, Tim. I blame Rob Daniel for all this. <laughs> yeah, I hope you're listening, RD3. We're, ca- we're carrying on. We're carrying on. But we're going to interview Chuck. Um, full disclosure, this is not our first attempt. So we've had practice, so hopefully this yeah. turns out well. Should be. Should I take be. full responsibility for having to leave. Got some <laughs> phone calls during the last one, and it kind of... Chopped it up a wee bit. No, I think it was more, you know, we have a few new toys that we were all kind of messing around with. So it was uh, kind of a uh, on-the-job training. So we just were trying to figure that out. It's so a good could, way to look at it. Yeah. Do you want to cover those new toys here, Mr. President, for the listeners out there that might be wondering what's yeah. going on? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the Carolinas Association has purchased what I believe the, the soundboard and the microphones become a little bit more mobile so our kind of goal this year is to maybe look at uh, being more present at our local associations our carolinas associations and give uh, our members an opportunity to maybe sit down and talk with us from time to time uh, if it presents itself but at the same time uh, be able to go to our guests that we're you know kind of wanting to talk to and see is that about it jim yeah, I think it gives us the capability of making remote recordings as well, which we're excited about. And I think our plan is to target um, our events when we can and record multiple yeah. podcast um, episodes. We're going to call this Round the Buford Sessions. I like it. I like it. we got a few other on tap, a few other people on tap sure. today coming on, so yeah. look forward to that. Can we make a baseball reference like it could be around the horn? Aren't we like on the the horn of Paris Island or something down here <laughs> for your nautical terminologies. We're definitely on some islands. That's for sure. We're between a few. Which yeah. one are we on right now? I think technically this is not an island. You would call this a peninsula, right? Where yes. we're at right here in Beaufort. So we're we kind went. of still in the continuous U.S. right here where we are. We haven't crossed a bridge yet. I We probably have crossed a bridge, but I don't know. Gotcha. No, there's yeah. lots of sea islands around, around us, though. Yeah. And we're going to go out to some today. Yes. Looking forward to yeah. it. Yep, exactly. We went through three or four last night. That's correct. So, Well, Chuck, uh, what are you most excited about with this year and your, your presidency? Man, uh, well, first, you know, uh, it's it's humbling <laughs> to to realize that, you know, you've, um, you've worked 
your way through the board and move through the executive committee and now are kind of taking the helm of presidency. So uh, I'm excited, uh, a little bit bittersweet because, you know, um, as you get to your presidency, uh, your your time and tenure on the board is slowly coming to an end. And, uh, you know, board service for me has been uh, nothing short of amazing, really. Uh, you know, just getting to meet all the different folks and, you know, uh, because of the publicity you get from the magazine pictures, uh, people see you come up and talk to you, whether it's at, at dinner or, or at meetings. And it's just really kind of nice to uh, get to meet new people. But uh, really looking forward to a great year uh, working with the board, looking at how we can do better for our membership uh, to keep them engaged. And, you know, started off a great January so far. We had a great, you know, full day of rounds for research uh, meetings with uh, Daryl Ewing and Don Garrett, which uh, really looking forward to that. And hopefully we can uh, – break the $100,000 mark with the uh, rounds for research donations. I think we can based on what we've got going so far. Yeah. If we can get some of our listeners to help us with that, when the time comes, that would be fantastic. Now, the time is now you can, you can get go the, online, Yep, go online multiple years and uh, just go ahead and start stocking the inventory and let's give, uh, give the golfing public what they want. And that's a lot of golf in the Carolinas. There's a, uh, I've always said this, there's no club that's too small and definitely not, no club that's too big to not participate in sponsoring our two great universities and turf crash programs research-wise. Tim, can you explain to the listeners who may not know the Rounds for Research program, what it is, why we do it, and why we started it? Sure. Um, and if any of you all are in unique chapters around the country, GCSAA now offers the program um, nationwide, but... Essentially, with all the state budget cuts from um, our land-grant universities going back 15, 20 years, one of the big challenges was, um, back to Chuck's early days in 2007, was finding money for turfgrass research to replace those state dollars. And so um, we had the opportunity with a group of past presidents and a current board in 2008 to collect tea times from our members. It just seemed like... uh, it made sense to give the golfers what they wanted, which was the ability to play golf at either discounted rates or at exclusive places where they couldn't get on. Um, and so we were able to solicit tee times, sell them online in a program that's kind of simplistic when you think about the rounds. We just take the rounds and we sell them for research. So um, the concept was birthed there. Originally, um, everything was based around four, you know, foursomes, rounds for research. It kind of played on words. I think one of the things that we've realized over the last 10-plus years is that, to us, turfgrass research is important. It's a baseline for every superintendent, how they can perform their job um, better on a daily basis, per se. And uh, I don't think the golfers really care much about turf research is what we've learned. They want to go play places where they can't get on and they can spend more money than it's worth to take their friends or their family and show off. Or the complete opposite ends of the spectrum is – they're a member at a local country club, and they see that foursome on there selling for 50 or 75 bucks, and they realize that it costs them that much on their member chit every month if they want to bring the family out and take carts anyway so they can pick it up at a discounted rate. Yeah. Um, so when you combine all those funds together, I think we're close to $2 million maybe total since it started. 
um, nationally, and I know in the Carolinas that we've been able to give over 565000 back in specific grants to turf grass research projects between Clemson University and North Carolina State. It's a fantastic program. Born here in the Carolinas. Born here in the Carolinas. Just like sure. Pepsi-Cola. It was. Hopefully one day it will be as well-known as Pepsi-Cola. Yep. Well, thank Hell, you for everything you've done with that, Tim. I'd take RC or Tab at this point, either one, even. For that cheer wine would be good. I, I mean, that's fine. Oh, no cheer wine for Timmy. <laughs> yeah, and we don't, we don't drink it, but we'll promote the heck out of it. It's a local one as well. But, yeah, if you're a member of, of the Carolinas, please help us and donate rounds. If, you're, if you can't do that, help us promote it on social media if you're so inclined. And um, if you're somewhere else out there, your chapter might have it too, and yeah. go ahead and support it because without research um, – it's a struggle. We need it. We've well, got to cool. support our land-grant universities more than ever now. I think what we learned last year, too, is that we've got a number of alumni. I call them alumni members who either went to school here or have worked in the Carolinas, and they retain their membership even when they move out of state. And so let's say you moved on to a course in Utah or something. You can make multiple donations from your current facility, and you can designate which chapter they go to. Sure. So don't forget that even if you're outside the Carolinas and you want to help your old chapter as an alumni – you can just put in an extra form and sell an extra round. Yeah, we have a lot of our old alumni from here uh, to our neighbor next door in Georgia. We do. Which is very yeah. fond of Chuck's heart, isn't it? Well, it is, and we've gotten a few of that riffraff over our yeah. way, too. Like That's right. Mr. Connolly. Yep. yep. How about those dogs, though, Charles? <laughs> wow, what a what a start to my new year. I just realized a you couple get a new days dog? ago. No. You get I a just, puppy? No, let's not bring that up. Oh, my bad. We're talking about football. Well, we're going to, you know, what's so great for me and probably going to suck for our membership is that uh, the University of Georgia is going to be the undisputed national championship throughout my whole tenure as president, which will make me probably that much more obnoxious when I have to publicly speak and talk about all the Clemson Tigers and how we were able to win our two back-to-back. Correct. So... Anyway. Now when it's tied at 3-3, three to three, we just have to have the conversation about who won them in closer proximity to each other. Because that's, that's right. all we have to that's differentiate right. each other. <laughs> I will say that there's nothing more enjoyable when you wake up the day after the national championship and Dr. Burt McCarty is the first one that texts you and tells you congratulations, especially when he's a Clemson alum and a Florida State, you know, former employee. So, or excuse me, Florida employee, which is – Always uh, a pleasure. So, And Bert didn't stay up and watch the game either, I bet. No. no. I don't think anybody did if, unless you were a Georgia fan. Who would have? What a ridiculous game. I mean, that wasn't even fun to watch as a national championship. It was very fun. <laughs> it was very fun. <laughs> I'm awful quiet over here. I don't have a dog in this fight. Look, I just hope them Cyclones do something for <laughs> basketball this year. How about our boy Brock Purdy that won the 49ers? Yeah. Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Irrelevant, which apparently they're tagging Stetson, will probably be similar. So. Yep. A lot of comparisons That's between right. those two. That's right. Yep. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So, Is that your 42-year-old quarterback? Oh, 42. He's no Chris Winkie. Florida State reference. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Chuck, uh, in addition to being our president of this great association, you decided to make a career change about the same time. <laughs> so... Well, I was offered a career change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, after five years at uh, Smithfield Country Club, just outside of the 
Greenville area, I was uh, given the opportunity to uh, move my working talents to uh, McCormick, South Carolina, to uh, Savannah Lakes Village, which uh, I took over director of golf position under uh, or after uh, Bob McIntosh, who had been there for 20 years, and Bob uh, was retiring, so they were looking for a director of golf maintenance, and lo and behold, they somehow picked me through, I'm sure, a uh, long list of qualified candidates, so. I'm very fortunate. Been down there a little over a month, and uh, after the first, I think, seven days, I've made my presence known because I had to shut the golf course down for five days because of the sub-freezing temperatures for an extended period of time. So I don't know if I really uh, made myself uh, one of the favorite employees there yet, but hopefully we're going to make that change in the next few months. They'll start. So as a new employee, one of the requirements wasn't you had to come with covers for 36 greens? Unfortunately, uh, there weren't any covers there. So we were kind of uh, – and when you come into a, a position in December and you're kind of looking at how or what was done going into the fall as far as prep, you're just kind of uh, – you really – trust and rely on the fact that you know Bob McIntosh knew what he was doing and when we're ready to go we're just going to kind of make the right decisions from here going forward and uh based on everything I've seen up to this point after the the cold weather things are looking good I don't necessarily want to see any more you know five to seven days of sub-freezing temperature but other than that I think I think for the most part it was a good cold freeze kind of early on in the season and hopefully we'll Kind of get through that. Yeah, we need more of that cold weather snap like that in late November and into December. Yeah. Wait, definitely more during deer season than <laughs> in between deer and turkey season for this bad weather. Uh, I mean, it, based on everything I've seen and talking with Bert at the uh, at the Clinton House for the UTA Sporting Clay event, uh, he kind of agrees we need a good, hard, you know, first frost or freeze to really kind of shut everything down we've kind of been in limbo for the last few years even when we get the snow you know because it's a yeah it's a damn blanket really and kind of holds in that temperature so this is the first time that we've had really cold cold weather that's kind of put us into a heavy dormant uh state do you think Bert was telling you the truth at that point in time, or do you think he was still lying to you based on the results of the football national yeah, championship he, he always tells me the truth Where's that laugh button on that thing over there, Jim? <laughs> I don't know. I'll probably end up pushing the wrong one. <laughs> so let's talk about that here. So on the, the new equipment, y'all may, may hear some sounds from time to time. Um, we're going to switch up some folks working the mixing board. We do have our our, our former um, co-host who's still helping us on the editing side. So just in case any of y'all are wondering what happened with the Big Al movement, um, we've had a great stretch together. We continue to work together. Um, and Big Al has moved on, created his own podcast. And so just to uh, keep everybody above board, we are going to do the same thing. But I think that one of the things that the Carolinas board has noticed and realized over the first four years of this podcast is that it's the, uh, it's the stories that have come out about the members. It's, it's truly just about the individual. And so you're going to see more of a focus on that, um, probably a little less advertising, probably a little less banter in the beginning of the show, um, there may be some 
obviously during podcast banter that we will never get rid of. I think that's one of the things that sets us apart. But um, if you're tuning in to figure out how to um, set your grinder or what height your hole pokers are supposed to be on your Procore, you love my agronomic expertise, um, or any of those things, this is probably the wrong podcast for you. But if you want to hear some great stories about some really good people, then that's what we're doing here just to kind of clear up the air for everybody. So with that, Jim, why don't you hit that, whichever button you think it is. You got it right. I see. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, that was a great explanation. You're here all week. Yeah. Um, so with that, we're going to get back to the hard-hitting questions um, and kind of go through our cycle with Mr. Connolly. Like, how does a guy from New Jersey end up in Georgia, Chuck? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that's a hard one. Uh, I guess when you're eight years old and your dad decides he wants to get the hell out of New Jersey and uh, move the family to Atlanta, we uh, we all kind of load up and, and head down that way. So uh, we moved down in 79, and uh, my dad worked for a medical supply company, uh, and uh, – he uh, moved us down, and shortly after that, I lived on the south side of Atlanta, grew up there, and uh, been kind of in Georgia ever since until uh, 2007. And we, my my family, and I moved to uh, Greenville, South Carolina. So I guess that's how a guy from Jersey ends up in South Carolina. So that job that you had in Georgia before working here, did your wife, as the human resources director at Reynolds, get you that job? Uh, actually, uh, she did not. Okay. It was actually, I won't say I got her the job either, but uh, uh, we actually met when I was in college. Uh, I was a non-traditional student. I had done a few stints at some larger universities and uh, really wasn't that studious. <laughs> uh, so I... They, uh, most of the institutions I went to kind of encouraged me to take a break every few quarters and kind of go back and reevaluate my life choices. And uh, I was fortunate to work for a uh, superintendent by the name of Jeff Dorner at a small public golf course just outside of Atlanta in Jonesboro. And uh, at that point in time, he, he encouraged me to uh, kind of pursue a career in, in turf grass management, be a golf course superintendent. So we looked at a few places, Lake City, uh, you know, Abraham Baldwin, uh, Hoy Georgetown. Of course, he was a Michigan State grad and then Penn State. And, you know, at, I guess at my tenure or at my age, it was it made more sense to try and get quick, done as quick as we could and get into, uh, you know, my career. So went to ABAC, and that's where I met Donna after – my second year, she was a uh, the housing coordinator. She had come back and graduated from Georgia Southwestern with a human resource degree, and uh, she was just kind of looking for something. And because she was from Tifton at that point, um, she came back, and we met uh, while I was at school. And I guess the rest is history. She she's kind of followed me ever since. She's been a true blessing. We have a history on this podcast, Tim, of correcting people when they mispronounce things, don't we? Oh, yeah. I, I have a bad habit of doing that, yes. Well, in that spirit, it's Ori, Georgetown. The H is silent. Ori. Oh, sorry. 
did you, did professor. You, now, now the question is, were you instructed on that as a student, Jim, or was that part of your welcome packet as a professor that we need to fix this going forward, y'all? I learned that when I moved to Surfside Beach in um, 1999. Now, is Surfside considered Myrtle Beach? Nope, it's one town south. Ah. So it's before Ocean City. Yes. Yes, there is no Ocean City. That's in Maryland. Too. What's the other, what's that one? Garden, Garden City. City. Garden yeah. City. Myrtle Beach, Garden City, Merle's Inlet, Litchfield Beach, Polly's Island. That's all Myrtle Beach? Oh, <laughs> here we go. That's <laughs> like when you go into Hawaii, right? And they say that's all Waikiki. And it's from there all the way through, like, uh, gosh, I can't even think of all those little towns. But, yeah. But just... Uh, just a little correction there in the spirit of this podcast. Ori, Georgetown. Yeah. Ori, yep. Georgetown. Ori. It doesn't yep. matter. I mean, heck, people call Abraham Ballway Agricultural College ABAC, but I mean, sorry. My apologies. I will try and do better well, at least during my presentation. Let's get in front of this one. So, um, this January meeting that we're having, where is it being hosted, Jim? Dawta Island. That's correct. It's Dawta Island. I've been mispronouncing it possibly as Data. I guarantee you that's how I've said it my entire life. And once we leave here tomorrow afternoon, I'm going back to that because nobody up there will correct me. There you go. But we did learn from some locals. We did. We did. They're snowbirds. They're from Columbia. They've moved down here. <laughs> <laughs> and what is their pronunciation? Uh, Daw tall. Daw tall. Yeah. It was like doll. Doll. It wasn't even like. Yeah. That, that, they drew out the A. Yeah. Doll, Tim, doll. why don't you mention our host? For the meeting. Brian Dalton. I'm trying to say it right. At Dalton Island? Correct. Uh, it's none other than, than B-Man. Like like Charles said, Brian Hollingsworth, former director on our board, salt of the earth man, probably took more time as a director, I think, than anybody else to make personal contact with staff. I mean, it was phenomenal. He would send like handwritten notes. Letters. I remember after having some health challenges, receiving a letter from him that, you know, joyful tears, but at the same point in time. So Brian will always have a special place, um, at least in in, in my world. Um, and I know that he does phenomenal stuff, even as a guy from Auburn. We're not going to hold that against him. He is. He's truly, like you said, salt of the earth. He's one of those individuals you're – you're better for meeting him and not from a agronomic standpoint, from a, you know, from a, just a better person. I mean, he, he really is one of those unique individuals that uh, gets to know you and understands, you know, that there's, there's a person besides the superintendent or the assistant, you know, and that's, that's really something that I enjoyed when uh, we served together. Yeah. I think I think I I know Brian more as a man than as a superintendent. If that makes sense, that's a that's great. That's yeah. The way it should be. Yeah. Yep. Good egg. Good egg for sure. But I love being down in this area. I mean, when I first got hired, um, John Davis was our president, and at the time he was in <coughs> secession. And um, for whatever reason, found myself down here a lot. Um, I mean, it's just really, with the exception of the bugs and the heat, this place would be heaven. You know, um, it's a good spot. Yeah, a lot of movies and films have been filmed here as yeah. well. Yeah, there's yep. there's definitely a lot of history here. And then as we learned just recently, um, 
the Legends course at Paris Island during their renovation. Holes seven and eight, I think it was, or the original Santa Ana. Yeah. The first establishment on the East Coast was found actually in South Carolina, not from Tallahassee. Yeah, the ruins. The ruins, yeah. And so it's the oldest designated home place or whatever on the eastern seaboard now for America. And they've actually moved those two holes that it's now, those two are just uh, like a memorial area or a sanctuary. I don't know what the heck you'd call it. But, yeah, so they had to move the two holes to get them off of that area. That's really cool. I did not know that. Uh We just learned that last Saturday at Golf Day. last Saturday at Golf Day. Now, when you said Santa Ana, I thought you were talking about the first Santa Ana Bermuda grass in South Carolina. And it might not have been Ana. It might have been something else. It was something close to that. I I remember hearing a little bit about it, but, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. I had a cool experience this morning in in Buford. Um, My bride and I, Molly, went to breakfast at Breakstone Cafe, and we walked in right at 8 o'clock. And as we were walking in, everybody in the cafe was standing up, citing the Pledge of Allegiance. Wonderful. Yeah, it was really cool. Did you make it in time for the end? I did. Did you join in, or did you just stand there like a guy from Myrtle Beach? I took my hat off, and um, I did not recite the last phrase, but I did um, pay my respects, I guess, to him. That's yep. awesome. That's how, and that's how, I, in full disclosure, that's how I know about all the films, because they had a, um, a poster from every film that was ever uh, yeah. um, filmed here in there, which was really cool. And yeah. tons of eye candy banners and all this different kind of stuff. I would recommend going there if you're in Beaufort. Right What's to, it break, called? Breakstone Cafe. It's right by where we ate dinner last night. That's, a, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was I, I bet that was pretty powerful to walk in. Yeah. I mean, and see... Well, when we, when we first walked in, we thought we were interrupting some kind of meeting or get together. <laughs> Civil. <laughs> but well, apparently, if you hang out out here on the back porch at five o'clock, you'd probably hear taps too. Yeah, in coming the across the marsh there from yeah. Paris Island. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah, we're very close here to Paris Island Marine Depot. For anybody that's wondering what we're talking about, which I believe is where every recruit comes for basic training that wants to be in the Marines. I, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. They may have something on the West Coast as well. I think there well. is something on the West Coast, but I think majority come through know. here. Yeah, I know years ago with the Army, they did that too. There used to be like three or four major training bases, and they moved them all to Fort Jackson from consolidation. I think um, as a military brat, we can tell you our love of the Clintons and their shrinking of the, the military started about that time frame. So that's how I remember sections of history growing up is what went on and what president was going on and how it impacted our family and the bases that we lived on how many different bases have you lived on tim oh gosh i think seven maybe eight yeah yeah we moved around a number of times little little but this is about charles we'll do that on another day now we need to charles is our new jersey friend who's moved down here to georgia and slid over on the rail how you doing how you doing yeah uh great picture of of charles and his Lovely Bride Donna on our magazine, Carolina's yes, Green, too. The he's the first time that he's ever been, you know, shown up as the show pony. Well, let's just let Chuck talk about that. How do you feel about this cover? Oh, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, she's been a little bit difficult to deal with since she's made the cover of the magazine. She she wants to be referred to as the first lady at the house now, and I, I keep telling her that, you know, it's really not that big of a deal, honey. <laughs> so... But when she came to the show and saw uh, the 
attention and the respect, I dare say, that, that you got from your peer group, I would think that it probably reaffirmed or maybe changed her opinion to the good about what goes on in our professional world, I think. Most definitely. I mean, so. It's not know, just golf and sporting clays and no, cold beer. Cold beer, yeah, that's right. And, and I think, you know, for for we've almost been married for 25 years. And, and because she, she and I worked together at, at Reynolds, and then she's been a superintendent's wife for, like I said, almost 25 years, there's a little bit of she knows what's going on. Agronomically, she she has an idea, but, uh, you know, there's always that misconception of, oh, yeah, you guys just go drink beer and you call it a meeting or you play golf or whatever. But what you start to realize, and I think what she saw uh, at the conference and show was how professional this organization is and how, you know, professional we as superintendents take, you know, take our profession. And um, it wasn't that she didn't think, think anything serious, but I, I just feel like it was a little bit more eye opening for her and it was appreciative. And I, I'm glad that uh, she was able to come down and, and, you know, participate in it. And I, you know, it was good to see her there. And uh, yeah. So, cause she's a big reason that I'm, you know, I am the president. She's given me the opportunity to volunteer. She's given me the opportunity to be engaged, not only, in our industry, but, uh, be engaged as a superintendent. Yeah. There's a lot of times that I've, uh, you know, been away from home and missed a lot of, you know, the first couple of days of vacation or the last couple of days of vacation, especially when I was managing bent grass. But, uh, you know, overall it's been, been really good for us. And, uh, she's definitely been super supportive of that. So she started a new trend. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm glad, glad that she was able to be there and, and, uh, you know, I, I've kind of given her grief. I'm like, worked so hard and get on the cover, and I got to share it with her. But at the same time, <laughs> I will she say does this. does make you look good. Because I'm the show pony. I wanted it all by myself. But, sure, uh, sure. no, she she's a big reason that I'm, you know, I had that opportunity. So I'm glad to have shared it with her because, uh, yeah, she's she's definitely a very important person in my life. So First the first first lady to make the cover is that what we've determined? I don't know. I have. I mean, Don Garrett might know that more than anybody else. You know, Don his. is the only person I know that has read every Carolina's Green yeah. since it was a black and white pamphlet to yeah. now a fifty-four page color magazine cover to cover. Yeah, so at least once we'll have to check with him and see if if that's a first or not. Because there was some argument last year. Uh, during Billy's presidency that he was, had not been, had it not been for COVID, he would have been the youngest president. But as we've found out, cause he was going to beat out Don, but then we have also found out, uh, Billy yeah, Anderson was our, younger than Don. Our, yes. And you know, our, uh, our former past president who unfortunately has passed away and left us too soon was probably the youngest of all of them. So I think he was like 34 or 35. So, wow. Yeah. So, and to think, I mean, so how young was he in his tenure at, at, uh, Carmel at that point? I think he was probably there for 10 years at that point. Didn't he say in his, he came right from his internship. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it was like, he was 24 when he took, took over or, or yes, came to Carmel. He had worked, he was working for somebody at the time and that individual had moved on. That's just crazy. Yeah. But he had also, with his history, had 
you know, kind of worked for some guys up in the Michigan area that encouraged him to be involved uh, at the association level, if I remember correctly, with the old old podcast that we did. Yeah, that was a – Did he mention Gordon LaFontaine? It was, I don't know, Tim. No. I don't Who believe so. Gordon is one of the guys who started, like, the Michigan Turfgrass Foundation. And so when we were going through the SCTF and rounds for research and Michigan wanted to be involved and we met up there, he was one of the guys that we met. And, gosh, I think Gordon would have been 70-something when I met him 15 years ago. So, but anyhow, that's good deal. Yeah. Yeah, that was an old YouTube member profile video that we repackaged in podcast form and just thought it would be a good chance to get Bill out there in his own words again. Um, so I hope everybody enjoyed that. I know I enjoyed interviewing him that yeah. day. It's just interesting to learn what our members are receptive to. And I think that we found that at least again, over the last four years is the podcast seems to be a good tool. Um, you can listen to it in a variety of places. You can start and go. You don't have to have all your senses attuned to it. And I think what happens with video is that when you put the visual sense on there, as well as an obligation, you lose the opportunity in certain places where you can capture that and you can watch it. Um, yeah can't it's hard to it's hard to watch or listen to a youtube driving down the road because you want to watch it but a podcast there's no desire to watch anything Uh so you can find yourself on a piece of equipment to and from work etc so anyhow looking forward to what direction this thing goes Uh got a new look coming at you live and in person here doing some recording down at the golf industry show as well yes we are i'm sorry the conference and trade show (laughs) and if you would like to be on um if you're one of our out-of-state, out-of-region listeners, hit us up. Let us know if you want to be on. Yeah. See if we can accommodate. Sure. We're going to have yep. some time live on the trade show floor um, on Wednesday, and we'll be around all week doing some other recording as well. Yep. So should be fun and going to hopefully continue to do some different sessions throughout the year like we're doing today with yeah, multiple we can, people. We can do long form with individuals, or we can do some short form where we do a collection of individuals to share multiple stories when we're in different places to kind of keep it short and entertaining. I think we found that with the women's U.S. Open last year, there was quite a bit of success in that, um, allowing larger groups to tell three or four stories at a time. Um, and then any impact or any uh, feedback from y'all would be great, you know, if you like the new format. Um, if you want to see something different, if you want to bring back the old, just let us know. Feedback makes the difference here. Otherwise, I just have to take what the 13 board members have to say and how we move. And only two of them. I think listen to the podcast. And they're here. Hey, guys. <laughs> no, I'm sure others do. It, it's, yeah, it's not a... It's How do not, you form your social media committee, Chuck? Who's listened to the podcast? <laughs> Two hands go up. You're the committee. Well, it's not, a, it's not a medium for everybody, but we realize that it is a medium that a lot of our members use. We feel like a lot of our younger members use it. We're going to highlight some of them later today, which is I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, I think I, th- I think as an association, we need to be, you know, uh, aware of the different uh, forms of communication, the, the different ways that we can, you know, uh, promote our members and uh, showcase them. And not everybody, you know, has time to maybe sit down and talk with Trent and, and get highlighted in the magazine and or the e e newsletter. And you know, this is a great great forum to uh to do that as well but it's it isn't for everybody and you know there's some folks that just would rather listen to music while they're mowing fairways or spraying and then there's others that are super engaged with uh the many different podcasts that are out there whether it's you know 
some of the architecture podcasts or golf, you know, uh, industry podcasts. So there's definitely some some uh, audience members that will be engaged for sure. Yeah, I mean, I get asked the question all the time, what sets our conference and show apart? And, you know, originally it was kind of like a fraternity type trying to explain that to people. But I was never in a fraternity, so it was hard to explain that. And then you go with camaraderie, networking. And, I mean, I think the summation is it's people. It's one way or the other. You know, we said it during COVID, people need people. And so whether you need somebody to talk to, whether you need somebody to vent to, whether you need somebody to learn from, whether you – whatever it may be, it's it's all those people interactions. And so going back to I think the point of the podcast is that – the feedback that we've heard from those that, that listen regularly and some that don't is, you know, it, it's it's the people side. It's it's getting into those stories and finding out what makes them tick and what makes them successful and why they're in the position that they're in. And So, anyhow, more of those stories. So, with that, Charles, um, if you were to go back to when Donna was interviewing you for your position at Reynolds um, – <laughs> I, I, I tried, a, yeah. Chuck. I did try to squash this. I, I was, what would uh, you tell younger? I was the intern, and she and I had we had just gotten engaged. What would you tell Prince Charles going into that interview <laughs> from Sir Charles these days tenure, to tighten his little rear yeah. up twenty five years ago? What have you learned? What What would you correct yourself on? Wow. Uh, you know, if I were, if you're asking what what would I give advice to a young assistant or a young superintendent, um, something that you and I talked about on the way down here, uh, and uh, Darren Davis shared on on a podcast I was listening to earlier. This industry is ninety percent people and ten percent turf, and uh, that resonated with me when he said it. And, you know, I, I, I think a lot about that. And when I was, when I was a young superintendent or, you know, a young assistant, it was all about kind of showcasing what I could do and uh, kind of showing my crew or my, uh, or my supervisor at the time, you know, how passionate I was about the turf industry and how passionate I was about trying to be successful. And as I've, you know, I guess you could say matured a little bit, I I find more, you know, um, joy in uh, seeing individuals thrive and uh, reaching their own personal goals and, and helping them to attain those things. Whether it's, you know, a crew member who just wants to find, you know, a stable, you know, uh, career as, a, you know, an operator or, or you know, spray tech, or if it's a uh, assistant superintendent that wants to uh, have an, you know, goals and ambitions to be superintendent that, you know, now at, at 51, I think that's where I'd like to see my careers developing those individuals and, and helping them, you know, reach their career goals and aspirations. So I think that's probably been the biggest change. Yep. I understand that. Looking back, I, I can't figure out why they made us read this book for this company that I worked for a fortune 500 company coming out of school and then going through a management training program and they hand you a copy of the one minute manager and they want you to read it. And here looking back 20 something years later, I can't tell you how many times I've purchased that book and put it in someone's hand and referenced yeah. a certain page in there that 
you know, hey, like I've highlighted one passage in this book and you'll find it. But it resonates and it's you praise in public and you reprimand in private. You know, and if you can carry that through, I think as a parent, it made a lot more sense. You start watching other ones and, you know, you want to beat your kid in the grocery store too, but you don't. And then you watch the others that do and you realize the difference and that you made the choice and your kid's going to be better for it. Yeah. I think it's the same with, with employees, right? Yeah. Like you got to you gotta coach them up in this day and age with the younger generation. They're not going to come. They're not going to react like we did. Mm. And you make a mistake and you get your butt chewed and beat up and down and you feel like crap about it. Like most of these kids, if they're engaged, they're probably already self-conscious enough and feeling bad about it. They don't need you beating on them too. They need you to help pick sure. them up, especially in front of their friends or whatever. And yeah. So anyhow, that's that's the one thing I'd take back for sure is to – to learn that early on in, in your life yeah, is, is the people side of it. You need those people. I mean, at my age, I guess I probably grew up, I mean, you know, my, my father and even early managers, um, it was more tough love. You know, it was, you know, you were browbeating. With an iron fist. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I think uh, whether it's a two-year program or a four-year program, uh, when you come out of school, you got a lot of agronomic knowledge. What you don't have is a lot of management knowledge. And uh, you start to realize early on that whether it's 80 acres or 220 acres, doesn't matter how good you are agronomically, you ain't going to get that place mowed out and you ain't going to you know, get it to the levels and conditions that you want by yourself. And that's where you start to learn how to manage people. And uh, whether it's, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be sent to uh, Dale Carnegie, uh, you know, sessions. And, and you start to learn what different people need to be motivated. There are those individuals that, you know, need to be, you know, for lack of a better term, coddled or at least encouraged in that way. And then there's others that just want to be pointed in the right direction and let go. And you can't manage your five-man crew or your 25-man crew uh, all the same. So that's, that's been the biggest, you know, uh, kind of epiphany in the last 15 or 20 years for me is, you know, uh, I can think I want to be successful and I can work, work my tail off to be successful, but I need those individuals, uh, that, that I manage to help achieve those goals. I mean, I say it all the time and they're, they're the feet in which I walk a lot of times. All right. What's the blue button do? Push it. The blue button, the Bluetooth button? No, the blue button. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great transition piece. It was. <laughs> and now we move right along to Jim. Yes, Tim. What, what's your advice for the youngsters as we're babbling over here? As you're going to have to apply it from a turf manager to a more so people manager yeah. in your professional This is the role. professor who is actually molding and encouraging the future uh, superintendents that are going into the industry in the next two to three years. What philosophy are you going to leave them with? Very similar to what you said when you were saying that, when both of you were talking, I was thinking in my own mind about how my training as a golf course superintendent, um, I think is advantageous to me with this new um, chapter teaching, um, helping get students from point A to point B and um, trying to lead by example like I always have. And um, I've had some people reach out to me and, you know, kind of 
caution me against what um, what I'm going to be up against here. But I've always said that I don't look at it as any different than dealing with my own staff or people that I work with or colleagues. If you're if you take your time and and treat people as you want to be treated and and be a leader, you'll be fine. And it's everybody's different. And when I was getting interviewed for the job, they asked me some questions about how I would teach and how I would do this. And I just kept going back to the way that I've always done it because as superintendents and turf managers, we are teachers, we are leaders, we, we train, we, um, we have to keep a group of people going in the same direction for the common good. Um, so I'm just going to rely on what I've always done, Tim, and hope that it keeps me successful. Um, I think that's an attribute that I bring that um, some of the other professors or colleagues that have been at Ori Georgetown over the years um, haven't had. They've come from more of an academic path. We have had one former superintendent teach there for a while, Mr. Rick McGinnis. Um, but uh, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to carry on. Like I only know one way, as you fellas know. <laughs> so I'm certainly five years from now, I think I will have adapted some. And part of my first year here is I go to class every other Friday it's called the New Faculty Institute, where I learned to teach and learned to techniques to use to be a better instructor and professor. When those are really interesting to me, so I've learned a lot from those. So you don't play golf every other Friday, then? Or I, those are the off Fridays between the new director sessions? Ho- hope, hopefully, hopefully. I I have to admit, though, my golf clubs do have dust on them right now, yeah. which is not good. Yeah. So I'm ho- hopefully going to start rectifying that situation here. But you are going to stress to the students the importance of playing the game as they come through, right? I have, and I've explained to them what I think is the most important part of the golf business, Tim. Golf. Yes. Right? And yes. if you're a sports field turf or sports field manager, the most important part of that is whatever sport you're providing the playing surface for. Or if you're in landscaping, it's your clients. But don't lose sight of what the most important thing is. Sure. And uh, – you know, I've told them several times about people and how important it is and that I wouldn't be in front of them today if it wasn't for my connections with people and relationships. And you guys said some good quotes about leadership and about people. And one of my favorites is, you know, without people, you're nothing. Because if you really think about it, you're not. So so sports field-wise, this Dura-Edge product, right, that they're using on the infield, you yes. learned about that yet? I have not. I need to really get up to speed on a lot of things with this new so career. Yeah, it's what they're, they're using around home plate and all that, where you can pack that dirt in and it uh, drains really well, but it doesn't run. I guess my question to you was, can you use that in mulch beds around your home to cap those areas and then just put mulch on the top of it so it doesn't run as bad? I'm going to tell you, Tim, the same thing that I tell the students that I have in class. I don't know, and I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you and tell you uh, that, that I do. And uh, thankfully, I have some students in my classes already that go ahead and look things up for me in the middle of my lectures when I tell them I don't know, <laughs> which is great. Can you imagine teaching without Google at this point? It's, like, how would, your, how would your syllabus lay out if you were still using a set of encyclopedias? Wow. It's been eye-opening to me how much it's changed I mean obviously we know it's changed but until you're right it's right in your face and you're up in it and you know everybody's has their laptops open and sure. you know the program software that we use for our classes and everything is really cool the way you add stuff on there and 
um, can present them stuff in class and they have it on their laptops right in front of them and they can download it and, you know, text. We have a few textbooks that we use. We do use uh, Dr. McCarty's book. Um, we use some other publications out of the GCSAA and we, and I'm using um, our best management practices for the Carolinas that we produced as an organization. I have that both uh, digitally and in book form and um, it's in a word document. So I'm able to take certain sections out of that and, and use that in some of my um, curriculum, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny how you say technology has changed. I, you know, personal reference, my son uh, was fortunate enough to go to uh, youth in government in, in Columbia uh, last semester at school. And I was out of town and, uh, you know, he had to wear a suit and a tie. And, uh, you know, I was trying to get home. Uh, to help him tie a tie, and my wife calls and says, don't worry about it, he's got it figured out. And I'm like, how the heck did he figure it out? And she goes, I Googled it, and he comes home. Watch and I mean, this is, video. this is a, this, I mean, and he perfectly tied his tie. I mean, it wasn't uneven at the bottom. He, he did a great job. But that's, it's amazing how these students, whether it's high school, college, uh, they're so much more resourceful and understand how to navigate, you know, uh, the, the Weebelows book, yeah. the diagrams of how to tie a tie are yeah. no longer acceptable because no. that's how I learned. I think it was, <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, we're you know we're the three of us here are all part of Generation X, <laughs> and uh, we're the last generation that's going to understand how it was to communicate before the internet and after, because everybody after us really doesn't remember what it no. was like to not have the internet and everything that goes with it. Sure. I tell my kids one of the electives I took my senior year at Clemson was how to use the internet. Yeah. Yeah. I made the reference in one of my classes of the World Wide Web, oh, yeah. which you never hear that term anymore. <laughs> but that's the WWW, Jimmy. <laughs> it, is is. That that it, it is the WWW, and I made a reference to... Is that some wrestling foundation? When the exactly. only way you could access the internet was Netscape Navigator. I know you gentlemen wow. remember that. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, one of the most changed. virus-prone softwares out there. <laughs> <laughs> so that hasn't changed since the beginning, huh? Man, no, I guess, no, none of it. It's just crazy how far it is. And then I guess I'll just publicly reference it, too. Um, so my kids play basketball now, and the other night we're sitting and watching basketball, and the stat comes up that the three-point line came on in the 79-80 season. So I look over at my oldest, and I'm like, hell, I'm older than the three-point line, and let me just tell you, the house hadn't had that much laughter in it, <laughs> even over the holidays. Like I can remember watching NBA games when they, you know, when yeah, they I did too. I, and then that started a whole other conversation. If I'm not with mistaken, us. wasn't it the college and the pros were both the same? It well, was right it, at the top of the key. It, at or first, at it was arc. it was different. Like the 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 pros had it right at the top of the or the college ones went right off the top of the arc, and then the pro line was three feet longer. Ah. They were different, and then I remember playing on courts that they didn't even have it at the time. Yeah. So, like, yep. you were shooting threes one game, and you go play the next game, and there were no threes. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. All right, well, what else do we have? We don't want to run on too long. We want to make sure you can make it on your commute home and back and, and not ramble on and have to listen to Chuck for three straight days. So, um, sure. Yeah, so wrapping it up, is I mean, is there anything else you'd like to say to the people, Chuck? Or I think we need a new final question. Okay. What was the first piece of equipment you ever purchased as a golf course superintendent? I like this. First piece of equipment as a golf course superintendent. Uh, 
that like you, know, you made the decision on yeah. we need this we don't so have uh when i got to greenville country club uh they were kind of the tail end of a brian silva renovation at uh the riverside course and uh the directive from the membership was we wanted a seth rayner style golf course uh and silva at that time was kind of known to to dabble with the Rainer style. And uh, one of the things that they did is um, institute square tee boxes. And, uh, you know, at that time I was very fortunate to have a good enough staff, big enough staff that uh, it was walk mowing tees. And I can remember uh, Jim Matthews uh, at the time, he was a superintendent at Chanticleer. Uh, he and I were talking and, and I said, you know, I think I'm going to buy 26 inch, walk mowers and he was like what why, why would you do that and i'm like well dude i don't want to send out you know the smaller mower and it take twice as long and it gives you the same look and the members aren't gonna really have an idea one way or the other it's just it's just how it looks and uh he's like that's crazy man it's crazy for doing that and uh i bought four of them so that was the first purchase and then i think the next year jim bought you know, four twenty six inch rollers too. Uh, not not that it was some kind of you know uh, groundbreaking decision, but uh, you start to look at it, and from a time standpoint, you know, it's three to five extra passes depending on how big or small they are. So uh, that was probably the first, or that was the first purchase. Uh, besides, uh, I think now that I think about it, I think I took a little bean sprayer uh, that was towed behind with a spray hawk. Because when I first got to Riverside, they had just seeded greens. And they're like, yeah, we ride. And I'm like, no, no, we're not riding for a while. So we spray hawked. So that was probably the first purchase. Nice. It is a game of inches in mowing and golf. That's right. And in football last night, apparently, too, we saw. Yeah. So anyhow. All right, Chuck, you got anything else you want to throw out there? We appreciate your time, your leadership. And selfishly, I, I truly appreciate your friendship <laughs> over the years. Ah, listen. <clears throat> I've been very fortunate to work for a great association, great membership. Uh, and if there's anything that we can ever do for you guys, uh, don't hesitate. You've got uh, contacts. Uh, you can reach out to me email or, or cell phone-wise, and we'll do what we can to help you. So thank you for everything y'all do and your participation. Jim, thank you for being in. Thank you, Chuck, and thank you, Tim. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your help, and uh, enjoy another episode of the Carolina's GCSA podcast, Pulling Weeds. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Pulling Weeds, a podcast of the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendents Association. Stay tuned as we will have another episode out soon. For further information on the Carolinas GCSA, please visit our website at www.carolinasgcsa.org or call our office at 864-843-1150.